I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi there. My name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. I'm so excited to be kicking off the launch of Marketing Vanguard with you all, and especially with our very first guest, Mark Spikert, Chief Commercial Officer at Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much, Jenny, for having me. I'm uh, delighted to be part of this uh, launch. Uh, well, I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, we're going to unpack your story in the next few minutes. Um, but Mark, I've known you for, for quite a number of years now, and it's just been so fascinating to watch your career trajectory. We were just reminiscing about the time we met in New York City and at, at the L'Oreal headquarters, and so much has happened both in your career and also in the world. Can you just bring us up to speed really quickly on, on your, your, the, the recent journey of your last few years as a marketing leader and business leader? Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I remember our conversations back uh, in New York, and it feels like it was yesterday, even though it was quite a few years ago now. But uh, yeah, I think I, uh, after L'Oreal, I decided to uh, uh, explore the world of tech. And I was at Google for a period of time where, uh, as you know, I like to uh, get into roles that didn't necessarily exist uh, before. And so Google was about to uh, create uh, new teams that would look at clients uh, from a global perspective. And so I jumped on that opportunity and it was fascinating to kind of uh, learn uh, how Google was approaching client relationships and partner with CMOs and CEOs on how they drive that transformation. Um, and uh, so I did that for a period of time. I was looking after consumer packaged good uh, luxury uh, and also tech uh, clients and uh, got a call from uh, 
someone that I knew back in my L'Oreal days, Emma Wamsley, who uh, at the time was running the uh, consumer unit of uh, GSK. And uh, again, we met back in my L'Oreal days and uh, she was like, I would love to be part of that special group of clients that get uh, that extra attention. And so uh, I uh, started to create Team GSK while I was at Google uh, and uh, got me to... Uh, understand a bit the, the the new world of healthcare and really appreciating that uh, digitalization was going to be such a critical component. And uh, as this uh, chief, chief digital officer role was created within uh, GSK, I thought I'd, I'd jump on board and uh, and it was an incredible uh, ride because, you know, this was literally right before COVID <laughs> and uh, yeah. being in a healthcare company in the middle of COVID was quite something. And a lot of the digitalization obviously uh, really got accelerated, I guess, uh, in all, all industries, but specifically in healthcare during my time there. So it was uh, quite fascinating and also uh, an opportunity for me to kind of stretch out a bit of my marketing core um, as I started to understand how digital can transform how you think about marketing, but also how digital can transform other parts of the enterprise. And so I was starting to partner with our head of supply chain or how to R&D um, and bring that transformation kind of mindset to those spaces as well, which uh, was uh, was hard because completely new and different versus where my core came from, but, uh, but super rich from a learning perspective. And then, you know, got a uh, call to explore uh, this opportunity at Four Seasons, which I thought, what a beautiful opportunity for, more, for me to go into a brand that obviously I was looking up to, but also in the spirit of creating something new. This was a new role that didn't exist within Four Seasons that brought together kind of a, a marketing component, right, which is something that obviously uh, has been uh, what I grew up in, you know, and obviously the L'Oreal role being one of that uh, uh, experience that really kind of shaped and accelerated how I looked at it, but also very importantly, kind of a, a sales component uh, and also, you know, a, a much more kind of end-to-end -end kind of commercial responsibility. And that was the opportunity. Uh, and so here I am. <laughs> well, I mean, I love what you said. There's so much in what you said um, about, you know, at every turn you took opportunities to learn something new. And so it's, you know, you were able to sort of build on your core, your marketing expertise, but then you stretched into new areas that you knew, you know, you mentioned supply chain, digital. Um, I love that you represent a marketing leader who has own their own story, own their own journey. And it sounds so intentional around, and, and I certainly understand hindsight's twenty twenty. but I also think it takes in that moment of opportunity to think strategically, just as you do for your brands and your businesses, you know, how does this make sense for me as an individual and not just a marketing leader, but a business leader? And so when you tell that story, I see that intentionality so dramatically in that at Mar you know, with the Marketing Vanguard podcast, we're talking to marketing leaders um, as well as presidents and CEOs who came up through the marketing leadership role to talk about how they're defining their, their themselves and the impact they're having on their businesses, not just through the brand lens, but through the overall business lens. And so, you know, you represent that, I think, in spades in the way that you've been able to you know, like I said, expand upon that core capability while even driving into new avenues. Talk, before we move on to the question set, talk a little bit about that and the decisions you've made, both for yourself, but also for your businesses that you think are representative of that. Yeah, no, I love the question. And uh, I remember in my first uh, uh, company, I had a really interesting discussion with uh, one of our HR leaders. And they asked this very simple question in terms of what really gets you up in the morning and, and how do you use that to really shape kind of the choices that you're taking from here. And it seemed like a 
a pretty simple question, but as I really reflected on it, I think it was quite a powerful one, and that really has led me to make the choices that I've made over time, you know, and the, the way I formulated it in my own head was around this uh, idea that I love to have a, a bit of a white piece of paper and then shape it, and uh, and 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 I thrive in and uh, the fact that it's hard, <laughs> and the fact that it really pushes you out of your comfort zone, and you learn tremendously, right? And so that pushed me to leave Colgate back then. I was there for 14 years. Uh, and kind of take the L'Oreal job, which was completely new, as you know, when we talked back then, you know, there was there had never been a CMO before. It was a new role. It was very anti-cultural, uh, but it felt like what an amazing white piece of paper. It was the same at Google. It was a white piece of paper because the role hadn't been created. You know, GSK never had a chief digital officer uh, and um, and Four Seasons never had a chief commercial officer. So I think that comment- I'm Definitely sensing a trend, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, some people probably, uh, Different people get different, you know, uh, get energy from different places, you know, and, um, you know, for me, it's it's the stuff that gets me up in the morning. And uh, and that's what I'm trying to then bring back to companies as well as I'm creating these roles, building capabilities and and um, and obviously driving business impact as a result of it. But but that's been my common thread and what what uh, has got me going. And, and I think to your point, created that common thread, that feel rouge across the different choices that I've made so far. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me now about something about you that is not reflected in your LinkedIn profile. We're so we're so focused on um, how we show up uh, in public spaces and places. But tell us uh, something about you that nobody else would really know just by looking at your profile. You know, the other thing that maybe is part of that common thread that we just talked about is this notion about empathy and care, mm-hmm. you know, that I think it's just something that as I kind of grew as a leader and got to understand who I am, I think it's just something that you put the finger on and said, I think this is what really matters to me. And probably the reason why I stayed at Colgate for all this time, because caring was actually one of the fundamental values that the organization had. And so it was a smaller of the consumer package with companies, but it had the sense of belonging and the sense of care and the sense of we're all here to support each other to be successful. And it felt like that was something that really imprinted on me, but also connected on the value side. And uh, when I, mean, I look at now at Four Seasons, if you fast track, you know, like, wouldn't it be great to have, you know, an amazing job and an amazing kind of company that checks the boxes on that, you know, recognition and that uh, celebration of care uh, and empathy. And that's very much what Four Seasons is all about, you know, the mm-hmm. John Davison, who's the CEO who hired me, uh, was joking and saying, this is probably the last job until you retire, because this is a company that has so much opportunities for growth and that I think is a perfect fit for who you are as a person. I remember the discussion in the first interview that I had with him. It was all about just me as a person and whether I was going to be a good cultural fit. There was not a single question on, you know, uh, my skill set or my experiences. It was all about just, you know, am I fitting that golden rule that Four Seasons is so passionate about. And, you know, uh, we have a founder that's uh, Mr. Sharp, who's such a inspirational, iconic uh, uh, leader. And as you get to interact with them, you really understand what that means uh, and that empathy and that care and that humility that comes through. And that's all captured in his book that he wrote about Four Seasons and what makes Four Seasons Four Seasons. But all that to say that I think this notion of empathy and care is something that uh, I think is a is something that a lot of people talk about today, particularly post-COVID, mm-hmm. of being an important kind of leadership trait. But back in the day, maybe it was a bit less front and center. And I feel now more than ever is something that I feel is 
as core to who I am and finding a company that kind of matches that in terms of the environment that it creates is very, very special. So uh, maybe that's it. Can empathy be learned? And the other question is, you know, what in your life instilled that uh, priority of empathy? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and one of the things that we've been discussing as a leadership team is, you know, how do we role model what empathy looks like, obviously within Four Seasons, but also outside of Four Seasons, right? Um, and it almost feels like, I mean, me being, a, I think, a pretty uh, having empathy and care as, um, as a core dynamic, it's almost kind of raises the bar for yourself when you're in a company that where that is the norm, kind of show up and continuously kind of to raise the empathy IQ, <laughs> which is quite, you know, uh, stimulating, right? Because it just, uh, it's special in a way because it actually makes you feel like you're becoming a better leader, but you're also becoming a, a better human person, you know, in terms of how you show up to the company that you work with, but also to the broader ecosystem around you. You know, I'm sure sometimes you kind of get stressed because your car is late and, you know, you're eager to get home. And so it's like, it was like, how, how do I make sure I behave with, you know, a third party that has nothing to do with Four Seasons in the same way that I behave in Four Seasons because that's the culture of the company. And how does that help you kind of elevate your your empathy and your care IQ regardless of who do you interact with, right? And mm -hmm. so it felt like that quite quite stimulating um, and uh, and then I guess to the second part of your question in terms of how uh, you know how that got instilled into me I think based on how I grew up I guess as a kid with my with my parents and, and my and, and, and the values that I think I was I was taught but then also the first company that I joined because again Colgate had caring as a fundamental value so it's almost like I I had that as a personal experience and then from a yeah. professional point of view the first company that imprinted on me and infused on me was was one that really put that at the forefront of how they're expecting people to behave, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, based on all of your your varied experience and how you've patterned out your career trajectory thus far, do you define yourself as a marketing executive with a lot of ancillary or uh, complementary expertise, or do you think of yourself as a business leader with a marketing background or a marketing foundation? That's a great question, and uh, you know, I uh, I think I would probably say the latter. <laughs> um, I remember when I joined L'Oreal, I think the anchoring of the role, which it was a role that didn't exist, and I know we briefly talked about it when we met the first time, was how do we almost kind of shape the business strategy, and then how does the marketing uh, capability kind of enable that? At the time, L'Oreal was talking about going after the ability of new consumers, and so it was like, how do I anchor my role? to help enable us getting to the next building consumers, right? And that helped us shape strategic choices in terms of category entries or the types of capabilities that we needed to put in place to get there. And so it really kind of started as a, what is what are we trying to achieve from a business perspective? And then what are the capabilities that we then need to enable that to happen, you know? And some of them were hardcore marketing capabilities, you know, in terms of, What's our media setup? What's how do we build the right insights and analytics capabilities? But some of them were, you know, much more broader than that in terms of how do we think differently about how we look at our categories as an example, right? And instead of looking them into silos um, based on, you know, uh, 
the way they we were actually distributing the products through channels of distribution, how do we actually look at it as an integrated, you know, category the way the consumer would actually look at it, right? And so, and it's similar to the role that I'm doing now at Four Seasons. I think the the core anchoring is around how does the commercial organization kind of bring a guest lens in terms of how we do things, mm-hmm. and how does that inform, of course, marketing and commercial, but also what we're doing on the operational side. And what we're doing on the development side. So it felt like, you know, similar in terms of that notion, how do we inform business strategy and then build the capability within, you know, obviously the uh, the marketing space in that particular instance to, to deliver against it. Mm. If you weren't in your current role, what would you have done with your life? You know, if, you're, if your career hadn't gotten to this point, where, what else would you have been doing, Mark? I, I often think back to... Um, my, co- my college education and the only other thing that I really, really was obsessed with was botany. So I could have been in a completely different role had I pursued that passion. Well, I've, it's a difficult question because I have, you know, a couple of things that I would consider. Um, you know, one is, uh, you know, I'm a certified spin instructor. So I was one of the early adopters of cycle back in the days of oh my uh, gosh. In New York. So my secret dream was to always just, you know. <laughs> Retire early. Now I'm getting a little old to become a spin instructor, but I'm still, you know, trying to, to, uh, to, to make it work. But, oh, that's uh, amazing and very inspirational for me personally. I, so I should get on that. <laughs> you know, and so certainly kind of, uh, you know, used uh, my Peloton bike in uh, during the COVID uh, days quite, quite a bit. But so maybe mm. that was one. And then the other one, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I would always go and go on holidays to visit my grandparents who were living in, in Germany. And my grandfather would always take us to the zoo and I would drive him nuts because I would actually go and do an inventory of all the different animals within the zoo. And my dream was like, you know, one day I want to just be a, you know, manage a zoo or something. And, uh, you know, fast, fast track that. And I was just in uh, Prague with my children because one of the beauties of Four Seasons is you get to experience go everywhere. And go everywhere with them, and so we went to the anniversary of our Prague Hotel, which is a beautiful hotel. And one of the, one of the, uh, uh, you know, experiences that we created for the children was to actually go to the Prague Zoo, which is one of the most beautiful zoos in Europe. And we got like, behind-the-scenes access that only Four Seasons can do. And to this day, for the children and myself, I, I have to say, it's been one of the most incredible experiences we've had, and uh, the one thing that we all we all fondly kind of remember. So. Oh my God, that's, you know, by that, on that point, um, and I love that, um, Four Seasons, you mentioned Four Seasons and experience. I mean, Four Seasons is nothing if not experience, right? I mean, the, the, the overall, I'm sure it's all about the overall and enveloping feeling, experience, memories, um, every sense, you know, all of the four senses being, um, or five senses, I'm sorry, Four Seasons, five senses being, you know, um, engaged right for people who are experiencing a four season stay um what can marketers learn from that what can other marketers learn from um that priority that four seasons has built its reputation on yeah it's a great question and something that we're super passionate about because i think that sits at the very core of our brand and we call it um you know four seasons creates luxury with genuine heart right and uh, and the way we do that is very much around how we create small uh unscripted acts of love, right? Or how do we display that radical empathy uh, that makes the Four Seasons experience very, very special, you know? And so, and, you know, of course you you have, you know, standards of excellence that you want to make sure you push out, but very often what makes that uh, difference is that small little act of unscripted uh, empathy mm. or unscripted love, right? And so, 
And we have so many stories when we go across our hotels uh, where that act of unscripted love is what really made the difference, you know? And so uh, I remember when I was doing uh, just my induction, uh, I uh, spent some time with our housekeeping uh, team here in London and uh, we went uh, uh, through uh, the different rooms and it, the team was explaining to me how uh, they were interacting with guests and, uh, you know, and just basically their jobs. And um, I remember the housekeeper mentioning a story where uh, they had found a little picture of a guest on a side uh, desk um, next to the bed. Um, and they took it upon themselves to actually go and buy a little frame and put the picture in the frame. And, mm-hmm. and the playback from the guest was like, oh my God, this is such a, you know, nobody told, you know, the, the team to do that, but it just mm. showed that there was a real sense of care. Mm. <laughs> um, and that little attention, you know, made the, the stay of that guest, you know. And so um, I think that very much is at the core of uh, how do you think about creating experiences that are not cookie cutter experiences, you know, yes. we have a, we're in the luxury business. Um, and but I think that applies to, you know, any kind of brands, right? And it's like, how do you think about creating experiences that come from the heart, that are genuine, that are authentic, um, and that shows that you really paid attention to understand what the guest wanted or what might, you know, surprise, you know, um, surprise the guest in a, in a positive way, right? Um, but it mm-hmm. comes from a place of I've invested in understanding that and therefore I'm creating this well moment and it, and it doesn't need to come with this massive you know, experience in this particular instance, it was a it was a very small experience that ended up being very meaningful, right? So I think that for me has been quite opening as I have observed uh, what we do as a brand uh, and how we bring it to life successfully. I love the point about unscripted, and sometimes it's things that aren't planned um, that have the greatest impact. So um, fascinating and and so much takeaway for um, for every brand truly. Um, and there's an element, I mean, it's human and there's an element of empowerment that everybody who works for a given company would have to have in order for that to really manifest, which is exciting. And it goes back to the, and it goes back by me to the, to my, to your first question in terms of what's not on the LinkedIn or whatever, this notion of empathy and care, because you need to have people who have the brand in their veins so that they can do something that is at the end of the day going to be uh noticed right uh, but it, and it and therefore it, it comes across as genuine and if you, when you get to interact with our staff and the reason why people stay for 10 20 30 years is because they have that they care about their careers but they very much care about the brand at the same time as well you know so there's this commitment to making this a better place um and, and acting as a result of it love that um Thank you. Now I want to ask you a question. You know, I talk to a lot of marketing leaders who say we hear so much about successes, right? We hear so much about the case studies and the stories of people um, who have had success. And uh, of course, we're in the habit of celebrating success, which is wonderful. But people, especially marketing leaders, also want to hear about mistakes made, decisions not made, choices not taken, and frankly, sometimes even failures, because that's where some of the greatest learning can come. So talk to me a little bit about an experience that you've had or an episode where perhaps you made a decision that um, you regretted or that showed you something in retrospect about what you could have done differently and what you learned from that. 
I think for me, both are people related. You know, as I said, I care and I'm empathetic. And then, but sometimes you have to make t- tough choices, right? And it's incredibly hard, you know? Uh, and so maybe I'll answer the first question to what I haven't done and then what I've done that didn't pan out, which you'll see both have a people kind of connection to it. Uh, the first was in a past company, I, you know, when you're kind of pressured to build capabilities and expertise, and you're not sure if you have that internally just yet, right? So the easy solution is to just go and buy expertise and plug it in and it's done, right? And so, and so, you know, I, we had quite a bit of uh, energy to try to move some topics, you know, at pace. And so I was close to actually pulling the plug on an individual saying, okay, you know, the person doesn't have the skill set. It's going to be faster for me to just bring in expertise. But in my gut, I was like, you know, it's not the right decision. <laughs> And I'll, and I'll lead back to where I failed and what I've learned from it. And I had a very frank discussion with that person at the time. And I was like, okay, listen, you know, you're not delivering to, to standard right now. I think part of the equation is you need to make sure you're making some top decisions on the team underneath you, because <laughs> the combination of you and the team underneath you is just not going to lead to success. And so how do we make sure we are building uh, the right team underneath you because you're only as good as your team, right? And so, and it took quite a bit of investment for my end because obviously I, I you know, I, I enabled him to kind of build the A team. And but he, you know, was so energized because he he was passionate about the company. He was passionate about, you know, making this a challenge that he wanted to be successful at. And till this day, you know, um, it's probably one of my greatest satisfactions because I felt like I actually invested in someone that, A, I wasn't sure originally, but then I ended up creating kind of a success story as a, as a result of it, which, um, which uh, you know, which I think is probably one of the most successful things versus, of course, it's always satisfying when you have a superstar that you continue to nurture and develop, but you have someone you want to show on. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out, right? Because I had extensions where I bet on someone and then in the end, it just didn't work out, but in this instance it did, and it felt and it felt great. And we're still in touch. And actually, I had him consult with us, um, you know, as we were still building the team at Four Seasons for a period of time. And so it was great to kind of continue to partner with him, even after me leaving my my prior company. And then where I fail, I guess there was just a, you know, I think it was still relatively early on in my career. Where it's just you know making decisions probably too fast on people. You know, I had moved from a big subsidiary to a smaller subsidiary, and you know, it was a my first marketing director role, and I was like, I need to make an impact, and I need to move fast, and and I probably moved too fast, right? And I probably was too disruptive at the time, and uh, pulled out some people, put in some new people in, and probably you know through too much change, it was what was you know a small subsidiary at the time, and so kind of the learning there was like, how do we go slow to go fast, right? Yeah, Particularly yeah. For decisions, even when you have tremendous pressure to drive value and and drive impact when you're in a new position or new environment, and then just kind of baking in the understanding of the context, right? So for me, the adjustment was like you're moving from a big organization that has lots of resources to a much smaller organization, and so every decision is demultiplied just because of that context, right? So yeah. adjusting for that, I think, was 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 another big learning, I guess. Yep, as no role is singular right i mean we can't we we need we rely on networks every time you said just a minute ago you know you're only as good as your team who within your organization do you feel like is your you know or people are your best collaborators the people you need to work with and rely on to be successful you know one of the things that you know we Google was pretty big on is the sense of how do you create a sense of psychological safety and how do you build kind of a trust 
foundation and doing quite a bit of work on understanding um, who people are and how they're wired and how does that you know impact how you interact with each other and you and the way interacting with Jenny is different than how I interact with you know someone else because you know Jenny is wired differently than the other person right and so and just kind of adjusting kind of your leadership style as a result or your expectations or your decoder mm-hmm. and so you know we've done quite a bit I stole that from Google but uh, you know, <laughs> company that you know has many different clients but you know the, it's called discovery insights and it just i mean it's just another kind of personality test like the many ones that you i'm sure have experienced for yourself as well but it's just this uh, recognition that it's very often the people that the opposite spectrum of you in terms of how they're wired and how they think mm-hmm. are the best partners right totally um, yeah well because we learn from we learn from different we learn right. from Right. The uh, unlike us. Yeah. Right. So I'm an example like, you know, I'm I'm not great at process and, you know, this, that, whatever. And so, uh, you know, I like to think big and have lots of ideas. And so kind of figuring out how I partner with people that have a very different way of thinking, even though there's always a bit of an adjustment phase that sometimes can be a bit hard because we think very differently. Yeah, for sure that click it's quite magical and then you feel like you're really enhancing each other in a quite powerful way and making sure that the team around you is balanced so that you have different influences of what people can bring to the table and being very conscious about that i think i've, I've found quite quite powerful so that's so the is, that, is that your cfo is that your ceo is that you know your your chief human resources officer what you know who do you who do you find yourself in conversation with a lot um interesting conversation to drive the business forward that's a good question. I think the, um, one of the things that's quite unique at Four Seasons is we're a very tight and actually small leadership team, you know, and so we're six people uh, versus, you know, teams in the past that were much bigger. And so that enables you to have a much more qualitative kind of uh, relationship just because, you know, it's just a much smaller team, as simple sure. as it sounds, but it just gets you from the transactional relationship into a much more um qualitative kind of relationship i would say and so uh i think this is probably the leadership team that i've built the strongest relationship with uh, just because also it's a bit easier you know when you have a smaller group like that and and also because it's a smaller group i think people are much clear on their swim lanes right because you know it's not like you know you have people where stop lines start to get blurry as a result of it, you know? And so I think it, everybody kind of respects their area of expertise and is accountable to it. Um, and then are there to support each other? I mean, you know, it's like every time I join an organization, there's always, you know, one or two people that I, you know, everybody's excited. And then maybe there are a few people that are less excited, right? <laughs> but uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to sound, uh, you know, cheesy but it's true i mean it's the first time in my career that i joined an organization where everybody was generally excited for me to join and i felt that from the leadership team uh and again it goes back to people being excited about you know the fact that uh you know they have career aspirations themselves but they fundamentally care about the company and they felt okay great you know we have someone that brings great experiences along so let's just try to figure out how we make that person successful right so yeah it gets so you get so much energy from that it's it's really incredible what scares you as a business leader and what do you do to overcome those fears? 
I think complacency is what scares me, right? And particularly when you're in businesses that have been successful. I mean, I've been lucky because I've been in many companies that have been quite successful. I mean, L'Oreal is obviously very successful. Google has been very successful. GSK was very successful. And Four Seasons has been incredibly successful, right? So it's like, how do you, particularly when you're a newcomer, you're creating new roles, you know, you come in with humility, uh, you know, listening abilities, but at the same time, uh, create a bit of a sense of, urgency in terms of how do we make sure that with all this success, you know, continue to kind of to think about how you reinvent themselves and make sure that, you know, the future is as bright as the, as the past or the present, because, you know, you've seen many companies that have been incredibly successful and then suddenly kind of missed the mark. And in today's environment, things are very, very fast. I mean, even when you just think about what just happened over the weekend, right? And so mm-hmm. that for me is the, the sense about how do we make sure you are and that's, I feel like it's my role. I mean, I get into these new companies and how do you package it in the right way, right? So it comes across the right way where people get energized versus not, uh, as you create a sense of burning platform and a, and a sense of, yes, you know, we've done things incredibly well, but how do we think about the what if? And again, going back to our founder, Mr. Sharp, he always talks in his book about the what if, because that was his mindset and all the innovation that he brought to the table. And how do we make sure we never lose that as we become bigger, or as we become, you know, uh, as we continue to be successful? And we're our best year ever in 2022, but it doesn't mean the future is going to always be as bright. So how do we make sure we're like, we're, you are this ag- agitator. I think L'Oreal called it la sainte inquiétude, which means the healthy, <laughs> right? So that you're always, you know, you're never really satisfied with where you are, and that keeps you going, and that keeps reinventing yourself. And it's hard, right? It's very hard. It is. It is. We'll be back with more Marketing Vanguard after this quick break. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, Mark, I want to ask you, um, this next question is um, related to inspiration. And I've talked to so many marketing leaders who say, fundamentally, at the end of the day, what they need a constant flow of is inspiration. You know, there's so much creativity that, that marketing leaders bring to bear in their organizations. And so having that fuel, having that fuel for inspiration is so key. Where do you find inspiration that informs your work? I always found it so powerful to push yourself out of your company and try to get inspiration from the outside. And I think when you're getting busy, I think the risk is that you kind of get sucked in and, you know, you're just, 
you know, missing that link with what's happening outside of your space. And so I joined a board of a company uh, almost a year ago. It's a small company called Hawk Clinic and it's a VC backed company. It's a beauty company actually. So I still keep my connection back with the beauty space. That's great. Um, and uh, it's a small company, but I feel incredibly excited. We just had a board meeting uh, last week actually to see how small organizations really challenge themselves to drive success and it's hard right it's hard for big companies to be successful particularly in the beauty space you know when you're a small company how hard is it to really emerge given how cutthroat and competitive it is but i found it incredibly exciting to see that okay with a handful of resources how do you drive success and then you know the founder is uh, obviously still uh you know in the board conversations and just always kind of listening through the lens of the founder and how he is you know, listening to his vision, thinking about how he's kind of plugged it through over the years and how he's kind of uh, looking at the opportunities kind of moving forward. And so, um, so I think, uh, you know, getting the inspiration from the big players, I think it's super help helpful, right? Because we want to make sure you're, you're, uh, you're understanding where the, you know, super sophisticated capabilities are, but also I find it quite powerful to kind of look at actually really small, agile, nimble players that mm -hmm. are about to emerge and what is it that is making them emerge and what's the special kind of sauce very often told by the founder that has them made successful and how do we get them to unleash the potential? I think is I find quite exciting, right? Because going back to my complacency point earlier, I think very often big companies fails because they start to become clunky and they lose that sense of agility and that sense of guest centricity and you know and so I think yeah the interaction with small small companies I, I find quite quite eye opening. Yeah, and, and that to, to me that's a, an example of you being strategic about the different the quote unquote different that you need to continue to have access or insight into uh, because it is such a vastly different lens than what you're dealing with day in day out and what you've dealt with at the bigger companies that you've led at so very very fascinating what is marketing from your vantage point given all of your various roles and frankly the diversity of oversight that you've had um, what does marketing need to do to be respected and supportive um, in companies as we move forward, you know, obviously our world is changing so dramatically and as is the practice of marketing, but, you know, assessing where we are in the here and now, what do you think it needs to do and what do marketing leaders need to do to drive that relevance and drive that um, evidence, if you will, of impact and necessity in organizations? You know, for me, the, the marketing function and the commercial function defined, I guess, more broadly, should be all about driving the IQ around the guest and the customer or whatever you call it in your company, right? And so, yep. you know, we hear so much of it. <laughs> you know, everybody talks about, you know, consumer's king or guest is important or it's, you know, hanging on walls or whatever, right? But then in the end, it's like, how well do you really understand your guests and your customer? And again, it sounds like a bit uh, vanilla, but I think it's, you know, based on all the different companies that I, I've been to, building that, you know, guest muscle has always been part of what we've been doing. You know, when I was Google, the whole genesis behind the teams that we were trying to build when I joined was 
a better customer understanding and how do you create teams that were much more bespoke so that Team Samsung looks very different than Team Loyal than Team P&G because we were trying to put ourselves under the skin of those clients and and those teams ended up looking very different, right? Because the way you interact with the Samsung is very different than how you interact with the P&G and, and you'll sell business in a different way, right? And so, so for me, the at Four Seasons, I think one of the first uh, focuses and, and missions that I was given by, you know, my CEO was, you know, help us to really continue to understand who our best guests are and how do we get more of those best guests? Because as you can imagine, those best guests are much more profitable and much more interesting for us to go after than guests that are, you know, come to us once and don't necessarily come back, right? And so, um, and honing your craft on how you're building those insights team is also something that I found particularly fascinating, you know, um, because, uh, if I just think about my Four Seasons experience and the team that we built there, I mean, we literally started this team from scratch post-COVID um, and we rebuilt a team from scratch that is very different maybe than some of the insights functions that I've built in the past. Uh, very orientated around going back to your question is marketing about, you know, capabilities or business, but I'm mostly kind of ex-consultants that look at insights in a way that how do I help me answer big uh, business questions and then how do we operationalize and activate that to drive impact, right? So I guess long way to answer your question, but uh, I think that's kind of how I look at it. Um, Are you uh, able to, can you share an example of a time you were able to connect the dots, right? Between a decision you made, a marketing decision you made and the trajectory of the company or a, a new opportunity that was realized at a company, you know? Connecting yeah. those dots, I think is so, and, and what was the data and what was the in, insights that you were able to use to inform that? You know, I mean, maybe I'll use an example from my Loyal days because uh, that's, I guess, in the public domain now as well. But I think, you know, we're doing all the uh, strategy work behind, um, you know, how do we get to the next billion consumers? I think the, and we translated that back into how do we look at it through the lens of uh, the U.S. because at the time I was part of the U.S. organization. And it was quite eye-opening because it just highlighted the huge opportunity that we had to still capitalize on existing categories. And you would have said, okay, Loyal has so many different brands. And so we probably kind of tapped out in terms of potential uh, on a given category. And so in this particular instance, we were talking about skincare and we had lots of different skincare brands. And what the analysis and the data showed is that, you know, we had an opportunity to look at a guest segmentation to really potentialize how we're activating the different brands much more strategically to different guest segments so that they don't overlap as much mm -hmm. uh, to really drive impact, you know, uh, and then how do you do that in the most profitable way uh, in a category that's super high barriers of entry uh, and super, super competitive and with big entrenched kind of players in there, right? And so, so we took a uh, you know, a category and we said, actually, we're going to do this category. And there were some other kind of sexy categories that we had entered in other markets that we could have entered, but we're like, no, 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 let's just put that on hold because we have this, this big opportunity in front of us that we haven't fully potentialized, that we haven't fully put under the lens of how do we actually work our portfolio and our understanding of the different customers and the different channels uh, to really get it to the next level. And, you know, it all led to us um, being quite successful in activating that and then obviously scaling that across other parts of the, of, the, of the organization. And so for me, that was a good example where we decided to, based on data, actually a bit of not making some moves <laughs> and <laughs> focusing and zeroing in to potentializing something that was already there, but by just kind of approaching it differently. Yeah, and sometimes it's not making the moves that it is the move itself. So, um, so interesting. 
So vanguard, the word vanguard literally defined means a group of people leading the way in new developments or ideas. What's an example of a development or an idea that you have had that led the way for either a company that you worked for or the industry? Because I know you're also very, um, you know, there's so much in this industry and among marketing leadership um, where they seek to come together to drive change and to also find alignment. So in either respect, um, at a company or in the industry, what is an example of um, your new development or idea that has had ripple effects that has actually pushed forward? Yeah, no, I love the question. And, uh, you know, as you know, I love to think outside of the box <laughs> and bring new thinking to the table. I think going back to that's part of, I think, what sure. you know, deals need to do. And uh, I think within Four Seasons, one of the things that I inherited, which uh, I'm now trying to continue to think about how we build and, and truly own as a competitive advantage is uh, what I call AI meets uh, EI. So how does artificial intelligence meet uh, emotional intelligence? And it's really Love kind it. of bringing kind of, you know, what I think has made us so successful, which is the emotional intelligence going back to we create luxury, genuine heart, and um, we are really displaying kind of acts of love as we discussed a bit earlier. And how do I combine that with AI, right? And so, so that I can demultiply you know, the access to this incredible AI that we have. And so um, we um, we started just to give you, illustrate that with a concrete example with chat, which is again, something that I can't take credit for because that was there before I started, but clearly I saw the huge potential uh, against it. And, you know, with the team, we're really thinking about how we continue to evolve that. But, you know, the amount and the volume of people that are engaging with our chat, mm. you know, is, is is massive. I mean, it got three x in terms of volume over the last uh, over the last three years. And we're talking in the millions in terms of mm. the amounts of messaging that is happening through our chat. And the beautifulness of it is that you actually always talk to a real person and an expert within four seasons, right? So it's not chat. Uh, it's not a it's not a bot. It's not it's real person that are in the back end actually interacting with you. So you might start your conversation and talking to a concierge because you want to book a restaurant. And then that concierge would hand you over to another Four Seasons expert as a second step. If your second question is around, you know, um, I want to get some dry cleaning, for, for example, right? And so you would just get handover from one of our experts to another expert. And so it feels like you have a completely seamless experience because you're talking, it's just one conversation, but you're just being plugged in into the various Four Seasons expert. And yeah. it's almost kind of the, the digital experience is even greater than the physical experience in a way, because mm -hmm. you have one conversation with, it could be up to whatever, 10 people, but they're all the subject matter experts in, in their field, right? And, and they're very, see, they bring their heart into the conversation. They're caring, they're genuine empathy, as I mentioned before, but it's power through text. So that's for me as the AI meets EI. And I feel like it's something that we can truly own as a company, right? Because, yeah. you know, the big hospitality chains, I'm sure they're going to go really, really big on AI. You know, maybe the tiny little boutique player might go really big on EI because they're super small and they can do that. But we have mm -hmm. scale. And we have heart, and if we can bring the two pieces together, I think it's something that is super on brand and is going to be, you know, super super uh, uh, a great competitive advantage. Yeah, that, and that could be become an industry standard. I mean, you, you, it's such new territory, and the fact that you're experimenting with it and seeking to find, you know, sort of the gold standard of that is 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 huge. For anybody listening, anything else about the just 
because because of the kind of company that you're at, any insights, any consumer insights that are interesting as far as now that we're on the other side of the pandemic, travel, you know, travel restrictions and, and an openness to travel, even though we're frankly dealing with some tough economic times still. Where are we at just generally with the travel industry and in particular luxury travel? I mean, we're very lucky in a sense because, you know, there's travel and then there's travel, right? And so if you think about it from a high net worth perspective, there are 55 million high net worth individuals in the world. And by 2025, there'll be an incremental 30 million high net worth individuals, right? And so it just shows you that, you know, the luxury space and hospitality within that is a good space to be in because, you know, just our the, the pool of people who can actually afford those kind of luxury experience keeps getting bigger. And so... Uh, and we certainly saw that in 2022, and a lot of it was revenge traveling, but we're certainly sure. seeing that into 2023 as we look at the year. There's some geographical changes where obviously we see APAC come back uh, real big with the opening of China, um, but we continue to see the US being incredibly strong as well. Uh, in Europe, uh, you know, we have a lot of new pipeline, new openings uh, in, in Europe as well. I think there are a couple of trends that we're seeing which are interesting. Um, one is, uh, what we call the set set jetting, <laughs> which is this notion of you know the how uh, you know hotels and destinations are being featured into you know pop culture kind of shows, and we've been lucky because we were part of the White Lotus season one and season two. Yes, of course. If you saw it, but uh, what a perfect opportunity for you to. Uh, showcase a uh, beautiful kind of hotel as a backdrop and but also destination right because suddenly Sicily and Taormina is just the hot spot and we just mm-hmm. had a interview our general manager by CNN actually over the weekend and uh, he was just stating that obviously the hotel is is booked but Taormina you know as uh, wow. loading as a destination right so it just shows the the power of what we call Sh- shrewd marketing strategy yeah you know? and, uh, for sure and uh, and linking back to pop culture at the same time as well, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, part of it was incredible push from our sales team, but also a bit of luck, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and we're certainly trying to um, ensure that we'll be part of the future seasons as well. So we'll see where that nets out. But, uh, yeah, it's been incredible. Wonderful. Um, so part of this podcast is this concept of paying it forward. And so the last question I ask of guests is who's next? You know, who would be the next industry leader that you would recommend we interview for Marketing Vanguard? You know, I used to sit on the board of Aesop, which I think is a beautiful brand, and uh, I just brought in a new uh, a new CMO, Martha Volando, who mm. just started a couple of months ago. And uh, I think she, uh, she has an incredible kind of background, but I think the brand is such an interesting brand that I still kind of look at as, uh, a brand that is source of inspiration in terms of how they think about, you know, their business, how they're thinking about the linkage back to design, how they're thinking back in terms of uh, standing out in a super creative category um, and continues kind of being probably one of the most successful beauty brands out there. Um, and it's a small brand still, <laughs> going back to the earlier point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, I think I'm just curious to see what she's going to do to take a successful brand. One of the one of the things that we were discussing when when I was on the board is like, how do you manage scale and don't break the success formula as you scale, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I think they're getting at a stage where obviously the brand is much bigger than when I was there, but it makes the topic even more relevant, right? Because there's so many examples where 
brands have been scaled and broken in the process. And so I'm sure mm -hmm. she'll share the whole plan and thinking, but, and she has great experiences coming from lots of great brands before that. But, uh, I thought that, uh, super powerful, exciting kind of success story as a brand and a new leader in position. So I thought she could be a good one to, to talk to. Wonderful. We will reach out. Mark, thank you so, so much for joining me. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's been so great to catch up with you. And I know our audience is going to find so much benefit in hearing your story. So thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.